You're listening to the National Politics Podcast, the weekly podcast from the National Newspaper where we talk about everything that's happened over the last week. My name is Stephen Payton, I'll be your host today, and join me around the table to talk about that news is our editor, National Cal- National Editor Cal Baird, Hello. and one of our national journalists, Kirstine Patterson. Hello. So, as always, you can help support this podcast by leaving me a comment down below and letting us know what you thought of it and everything we talked about today, as well as subscribing to The National, which does help us keep projects like this going. So, it's been a week. Uh, a lot has happened this week. Uh, we've had David Mundell threaten to resign again. We've had Theresa May be told by the EU that they're not going to reopen negotiations again. Uh, like with most Brexit weeks, it feels a little bit like we're just kind of going through the exact same thing as before. But what maybe sets this one apart is the essential or a little bit of a break from the traditional party system in that a bunch of Labour MPs and then as of today some Conservative MPs have defected from their respective parties to form a brand new one, or rather a group, called the Independent Group. So I'm just going to put it out there. What are your thoughts on this Independent Group? Um, I think it's I think it's kind of probably too early to say what sort of impact they're going to have, whether it's going to be a kind of flash in the pan. It was, it was funny watching Prime Minister's questions today because it's usually very rowdy and there's lots of cheering and there's lots of but but really neither kind of main party has much to cheer at the minute having just lost um, a significant number of MPs. Um, it was also odd that it, it wasn't really brought up at all. Um, no one really seemed to mention it. I mean, Ian Blackford said obviously Westminster politics is broken. Scotland will you know choose to do its own thing if, if things continue like this. Um, but it was there was just a kind of eerie silence about the place as if all the MPs were thinking. Well, what happens now? Um, and I don't think anybody really knows exactly what's going to happen now, what kind of impact this group has. Um, I suppose on the face of it, these MPs haven't been voting with the party leaders anyway. They, you know, the Labour ones haven't been voting the same way as Corbyn on Brexit, uh, and the Tory ones have been frequently rebelling against uh, against May and her deal anyway. So in that sense, it's not likely to shift much of the arithmetic around the, the, the deal and whether it goes through, but it, it certainly introduces a, a kind of new dynamic. And, and I think they're kind of... They're in a certainly in a in a slightly stronger position today than than they were on on Monday. I think Monday it was it turned into a wee bit of a farce with the website crashing. Um, you know, yeah, I imagine get into their first racism scandal in three hours after launching. Uh, yes, I know. I, I think from launch to apology, it was probably the the, the quickest one in history. Um, and and then there was the the, the BBC uh, live footage of it uh, had a guy swearing in the background about how we're all doomed uh, basically so it didn't it didn't seem to get off to too good a start but then we had another Labour MP defect today three Tories um, and we're not really sure if that's that's it or if there's going to be more I suppose that the one of the criticisms that these MPs have is that they like to be drama queens about the whole thing and uh, I wouldn't put, put it past me to have you know staged so there's a different MP resigning every day for the next couple of weeks or whatever um, but yeah it, I think it's too early to say what kind of long term effect this is going to have on, on politics mm. or even, even medium term and that is what they did with um, the sort of ministerial resignations from Corbyn way back it was kind of timed I feel like they did miss a little bit of a beat with this one when all the Labour MPs came out at the very start and all kind of sat down and you could see them all and they kind of could have gone for more of a bit of a stars in your eyes kind of vibe of like the doors open and one comes out at a time and makes it a little bit more dramatic. Yeah, I think you're, so, you're giving a wee bit more razzle-dazzle to this than it perhaps deserves. Well, it, well no, that's the problem. It didn't have any razzle-dazzle. Yeah, it was fundamentally it deserve, boring. It doesn't deserve any. Yeah, they needed a smoke machine, didn't they? Yeah. The, so. the, yeah. Okay, I'm going to disagree. 
Okay. Mm. So what do you think of the launch? I don't know what I think of the launch. I don't think very much of the launch. I, I do think a lot about the situation. We're now, we're now. You're right. It's, it's a break from the traditional Westminster party system, and that is interesting. And it deserves interrogation. Um, we're also in a situation now where this group, whether these are the final numbers or not, is now bigger than the DUP, which is is probably quite a significant moment considering the importance that the DUP has played um, in this parliament so far. Um, who knows where it's going to take us, you're right there, there may be, well be more people joining the ranks, there may be people at the end of the day who, who turn around and change their mind um, if I was represented by one of these MPs that has left their party and joined this independent group, I, I wonder how I would feel as a constituent having voted for them, having voted for them as a party representative and, and having that relationship changed, I'm, I'm not sure how happy I would be with that. Mm, which is interesting because Angel Smith did say something on that same interview where she dropped a bit of a racism. Um, she kind of said to one of the reasons that she'd left the party was because I think she said that the left have taken it back and that they've found that the centrists are being locked out. And my frustration with that was that she was elected on a left-wing manifesto under Corbyn. So you can't really be elected under that manifesto and then start saying, oh, but then the party didn't do what I personally wanted, which is not the platform that I was elected on. So exactly, I think people are going to be sitting in their constituencies looking at this group and going, we'll call a by-election because oh, but, we should but, have another yeah, say here. Yeah, you know, but, but they're also equally right to be frustrated with Corbyn's leadership, which is absolutely non-existent. You know, this is a guy who, who, who promises that the Labour memberships will set policy and on Brexit he's completely ignoring the wishes of the Labour membership. So, you know, to say that they were elected on his manifest, you know, it's, they are clearly frustrated with Corbyn and, the, and they're right to be, I think, you know, and the, their concerns are legitimate, they're not being listened to. I suppose that where it doesn't look good for them is that is that Corbyn and McDonald were once them, in a sense, and were once the sort of minority in the party and, you know, at no point during their, uh, you know, tenure in the backbenches did they ever quit and did they ever kind of start a new party. So I suppose there's, there's, it doesn't look great for them in then. But, you know, to say that, I, to pin the blame on, on them, I think, is, is, isn't quite, I think they're, you know, they're both as bad as each other and certainly the, the leadership doesn't come out looking great. And, and the kind of hounding and the abuse that they were getting yesterday almost kind of proves their point, you know, that the, all these kind of new media outlets like uh, Novara and Squawk Box and all them were immediately going for them, you know, and, and just attacking them and I think that's sort of what they were complaining about, was that the, the left were kind of hounding them out of the party. Mm. But at the same time, right, and I do agree when it comes to Corbyn, his leadership has not been up to a high enough standard Non-existent. Exactly. Um, particularly with dealing with like accusations of anti-Semitism within the party and everything else. Um, I think there's probably a little bit more of a middle ground between the party is absolutely fine and the party is full of raging anti-Semites. You know, there's got to be more of a middle path, I think, there than, than how either side portray it. But my issue with these MPs leaving just now is they're citing racism within the party as being a big part of that. But I don't buy that. Like, I mean, Angela Smith, like you're saying literally talking about racism in the party and then says the the um bme community are funny tinged and then um the the eighth labor mp who resigned 
in her letter, she said that racism wasn't present in the party before Corbyn came in. And that's obviously nonsense. I mean, I look at these MPs and I see people who haven't actually applied any critical thinking to race within their party up until now when they're finding a reason to leave because the party isn't lining up with their other politics. I just, I don't, I don't buy this narrative of that's why they're leaving. I think it does come down far more to the fact that they feel like the Labour Party has been taken back from the kind of Blairite factions. Well, they're saying that as well. You know, they're saying that as well. And they're saying that it's also due to Brexit and it's also due to... I mean, you have to admit that Brexit is the biggest issue that the country has faced in, in decades, you know, and their leadership is completely and utterly absent on it. And at some point, you just have to think, well, what, what are we going to do? We're just going to line up behind... Corbyn, he's not uh, listening to them. He says he is. Um, I, do, do, do you know I don't have. I have a bit of sympathy for these these kind of this new party, you know, particularly. And I suppose the the Tory MPs even more so because Theresa May is meeting with the 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 hardline Brexiteers. She's kind of pandering to their agenda, and but she's not meeting with the the kind of Remainer Tories and isn't talking to them. And so what what are they supposed to do? I think um I. I you talked, Stephen, a lot about the, the kind of racism issue, the anti-Semitism issue. Um, Callum, you're kind of talking about Brexit more. I, I would agree that there, the, the racism in any party um, and anti-Semitism in any party or any structure needs to be interrogated really, really thoroughly. And I wouldn't seek to d- diminish that. But I do think, I keep seeing statements now um, in, in the last while about different issues whether that be um, the closure of, of long-established car plants, whether that be political decision-making, that says it's not related to Brexit, and and I, I just can't give that any um, credence whatsoever. I think nowadays, where we are so close to this deadline, everything is about Brexit. Mm. Yeah. You, yeah, YouGov had done some, an interesting poll today, and YouGov are always very, very quick at reacting to these kind of political events, and, and they've got uh, how people would vote if they're independent. Party would put up candidates. Um, independent group. Independent group. Sorry, if they were a party and they put up candidates, who knows what they would be called? Um, but so they've got the Tories on thirty-eight percent, Labour on twenty-six, so a twelve-point lead, which is um, probably about four points more than they are at the minute. And then the independent group uh, on fourteen. So it looks like it's hurt Labour, or it has the potential to hurt Labour more than it does the Tories, um, which is interesting, I think. And I think. We can't, we shouldn't get too bogged down in Westminster politics. What that means for Scotland is that, you know, a Labour government just isn't happening and it isn't coming. So it makes the need for independence more and more imperative, um, even more than it ever was. Of course, there are no Scottish uh, defectors to the independent group as of this point. Yet. Who, knows, yeah. who knows if they will come? Yeah, well, the, but even then, you know, Ian, Ian Murray. Is, is said to be the sort of most likely one because he's often voted with the with the likes of kind of Chukwuma on, and he's certainly more of a remainer and isn't in tune with the leadership. But even you know he didn't do that yesterday, and you still had the kind of hard left and Scottish Labour attacking him last night for. I think he was he expressed sympathy with the independent group, and yet you had you know the the Red Robin, which is a sort of Corbynite. Um, Website basically just having a go at them with uh, with quotes from you know anonymous members in Labour, and you just think, well, don't they want to persuade 
you know, the Labour MP with the, I, I might be wrong here, but I think he's got the biggest majority in Scotland. Do they not want him to stay in the party? Would they rather he left? Well, well why are you hounding him out, regardless of what you kind of think of his, um, of, of what he's saying? You know, he's, he basically took the kind of Tom Watson line on it, that, that the leadership needs to listen to these people and not just attack the ones who are, who might be on the verge of following them. Hmm. But I think as well with, with, with these people that you're talking about um, and these voices, I think the way that they are viewing it is that they are taking the party back from, ironically, infiltrationists way back. You know, when, when um, Tony Blair essentially created New Labour and it became a far more neoliberal grouping and, you know, even Maggie Thatcher was like, my greatest invention was the New Labour um, party. You know, um, well, that's fine for Thatcher, but you know, they got Labour got elected at that point. They did get elected, but now they're in a situation which I think is actually well summed up by exactly what's going on right now, which is that Labour MPs and Tory MPs are so close together politically that they can both leave and form this independent group in the middle. Some of them, not all of them, mm-hmm. and that I think is a real damning look at both Westminster politics. The fact that the electoral system is absolutely broken meaning that people kind of get shunted into one or the other, but also the fact that there, there is a bit of a lack of diversity in the parliament, I think, when it comes to, um, you know, like from left to right and everything else, there is a lot of people sitting in the centre. And so these voices that, okay, maybe their approach isn't exactly right here, but they are seeing, I think, a Labour Party that is very close to actually taking a broader stance to the left back to how it closer used to be before it won elections. Oh. <laughs> well, the polling, this Labour Party without the independent group is polling at 26%. It's not going to win you an election. No. What's the point? But then again, it's also been plagued with endless attacks outside of its actual politics. You know, I don't think, like, regardless of what Labour's politics are, in fact, actually, arguably, you could even say no one's really sure what Labour's politics are because they constantly switch that. around. But regardless if you ask somebody about the Labour Party, they're going to be like, oh, Jeremy Corbyn, he's not a good guy. Or the party don't know where they stand on Brexit. Or the party's in absolute shambles. It's it's not really about necessarily but the politics. All it's, of those things are, are yeah, absolutely oh, no, They are. They're, compl- know, so. they're completely factually accurate. But that's my point. It's not the politics, I think, that's letting the party down just now. It's the fact that it's an absolutely abysmal state of leadership and an abysmal state of working. So that's internal politics, though, isn't it? Yeah. Internal affecting external. I, I think I think it's all part part of a parcel, isn't it? Yeah. But back to the question, which I think some of our readers and listeners will be interested in, is exactly how does this affect Scotland? I mean, will it? I mean, we had we had that amazing quote from Willie Rennie um, earlier on in the week before the defection started, where he was sort of saying that all the Brexit turmoil actually meant that this was a damaging blow against independence, which is so wild. It's just like, oh, look at the mess you're in. Better, better stay in it. You wouldn't want to get out of that because who knows what could be out there. Um, what, what, I mean, is this independent group likely to have any impact in Scotland, even with some of the concerns people have that somehow they could become the third biggest group in and take over from the SNP? No, I don't think so. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't see that there's any room for it in Scotland. You know, there's there's all the UK parties, but then there's also the SNP who take up a, a massive chunk of that ground. Um, I think the, the biggest impact that it's likely to have is to show Scots that, that Westminster is a completely broken political system and and you would like to think that that, that might push people towards independence. Um, I think it makes a, a Labour government 
a lot less likely. Um, if it splits the Labour vote and the Tories win a majority, then you know that that's that's probably the biggest impact that that it'll have in Scotland. Can I see it? Um, can I see any 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 of this new party if it does eventually form a party winning seats in Scotland? No, not at all. Unless potentially Ian Murray defects and you know that he's got a strong personal constituency in Edinburgh, mm. maybe. But it's it's certainly not going to have. I mean, are they going to field candidates for the Scottish Parliament? I, don't know, I doubt it. I, I agree. They're very unlikely to do that. But what you do want to see is engagement. You want to see people engaged uh, with politics. If there are people out there, and I'm sure there are, who who don't feel that they have a natural home, in, in any of of the established parties or groupings in this case, um, then perhaps this is something that might be of interest to them. Um, I, I would say that, that you know the, the level of political engagement in Scotland is high already, but there will always be people who are, who are outside of that. So um, maybe this is something to, to get people talking again. Hmm. Yeah, interesting to say that because that's pretty much where my opinion falls into it in that I actually think this group are going to achieve absolutely so. nothing. Thank you for agreeing oh, with me. Sorry, yeah. Uh, Sally just said, I thought so. Yeah, right. So I've got, I've got Apple on my side. That's nice. <laughs> sorry, that's right. I don't know. I must have been leaning on my phone. Sorry. But you're agreeing no. with me, so are Apple not on my well, side? Well, yeah. they're on more of our sides. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think, I think it's going to be a flash in the pan. I think it's going to disappear. And I think outside of media circles and politics circles, no one cares well, you about know, this new group that, of people. This, you, you, you know, you, you look at the poll from that's out today, they, they're getting 14%, which is double what the Lib Dems are getting. So, you know, the, the, the clearly it, it clearly has made some kind of impact. But I think the point is that, that in England um, and in Wales, you have two parties, one which is increasingly being driven by its right-wing Brexiteer kind of nonsense, and the other one which is increasingly being driven by the hard left and Corbyn. And then there's no one in the middle to vote for. Whereas in Scotland, that's not the case because I mean, the, the SNP sit in the middle. The Lib Dems would argue that they are that middle ground, but their credibility is the short credibility, two yeah, pieces. Exactly. Yeah. And I think I think we've seen over the years. I mean, we we obviously we, we monitor social networks a lot. We get a lot of uh, messages in um, from people who are out with Scotland and looking at Scottish politics and interested in Scottish politics. How many times have we seen people saying, "If the SNP had candidates in England, I would vote for them." Okay, so they're not majority voices, but those voices still exist. And I think that that expression is an expression of a wish to have another party to vote for. Definitely. Hmm. Okay, well I guess we'll see how that goes and we'll also see if anybody else defects and joins them over the next few days. Um, but let's move on instead to another big story for us last week and into this week which is of course the ongoing douche around BBC Question Time and its upcoming Scottish Alternative Debate Night. So of course the new BBC Scotland channel is launching this Sunday um, which will be hosting its own version of essentially the um, kind of politics question format but it's kind of already been a little bit undermined by the fact that it's kind of starting in the midst of this whole crisis of what is the BBC doing to ensure balance um, following on from you know a UKIP candidate appearing way too much in an audience and being personally yeah, invited in failed UKIP candidate uh, and being personally invited to come to the show and then um, questions around what answers are being fully shown in the show and which ones are being cut down later on. So, Callum, what do you think? Do you think this new channel is launching with a little bit of a stigma around it already? Do you know what? I, th- I feel quite sorry for the people behind the new channel because the, the people, the question time is, is obviously nothing to do with them, but people will just group the BBC as, as kind of one big entity 
Um, last week when we were talking uh, about question time, we said there was going to be a big story in tomorrow's paper, uh, and that and that was, and it, that ended up kind of dominating the news agenda for the next kind of few days. That was that um, the the question time producers had allowed um, William Mitchell to rant for a minute or so. Um, the Fiona Hislop responded for seven seconds, and then you can see a cut in the in the film, and we put it to the BBC. Well, what happened there? Um, and it was revealed eventually that uh, we corroborated this with a couple of people in the audience that Bella Mitchell had shouted something about Alexander, which couldn't be broadcast, and therefore the BBC cut out all of that section, which when it was finally broadcast, left the impression that all Fiona Hislop had to say to this guy's minute-long rant was seven seconds. And people reacted furiously to that. The BBC weren't happy with the story. I don't know why. They wrote to every MP and MSP, which I think just made it even worse. Um, in Saturday's paper, we had Angus Robertson write an open letter to Tony Hall. And then earlier this week, um, moving on to the new channel, um, Donalda McKinnon gave an interview with the Financial Times in which she said... The Scottish version of Question Time, which is called Debate Night, can't afford to tour Scotland. So it's been a pretty terrible week, I think. I don't think these events necessarily impact on whether the new channel will be or will be good or otherwise. I think the new channel has its own problems. I don't think there's enough money for it. You know, thirty million pounds. Um I think Kirsten it was actually you that did the story which was um around the East End of set, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. That was also something that that, that prompted a, a, an angry phone call to myself the day after pub, public or the day on of publication, challenging the the veracity of the yeah, story. East However, End set cost eighty yeah, million pounds. That's right. And the new BBC Scotland Channel cost thirty. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the figure the figures stand up. There's 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 nothing wrong with those figures apart from perhaps the the spending decisions behind them. Um, I, I wish the new Scotland, BBC Scotland Channel good luck. I think there's, when it comes to uh, some of the decisions they made, some of the hires that they've made, these are good decisions. There's good, talented people there. Um, you do hope that they, they do have the resources that they need um, to, to make a positive contribution to the nation's broadcasting. Yeah, but, you know, it's going to be 50% repeats, which isn't great, you know, on the, on the launch of a new channel. And the thing that, the thing that I suppose... The question that nobody can really seem to answer is that they're investing in this new news programme, The Nine, right, which is a, a, a Scottish-only kind of news show. It's almost sort of the, like the Scottish Six, or it's a version of it. And I think we're all for that, right? And we, we all want that to be a success, and we want it to break stories, and we want it to be really good. But I just, why is that not, why should that not replace the Six O'Clock News on BBC One? I, d- I don't understand it. That's that's the thing for me. Why did we want this new channel over making BBC One Scotland a, a, a better channel for Scotland? Instead, the main news show which people watch in Scotland is still going to be the six o'clock news and it's still going to be dominated by the health service in England, the education in England, issues which just don't matter to Scotland because except in, you know, kind of roundabout ways among Barnet cons- consequentials, but but Scottish people watching these stories get the impression that the NHS is in crisis, they get the impression that education blah, 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 when it's just, it simply isn't relevant to a Scottish audience. So I think, I mean, my view on the channel is that they're, they're fixing or trying to fix the wrong problem and also that they're not doing it with enough money. But saying that, 
I think the people behind it mean well and I think that uh, we really do wish it all the best we want it to be successful um, and I suppose maybe that can eventually grow into a, you know, a, a channel which could replace BBC One Scotland at some point mm. You almost think that when, when, when coming into setting up this new channel because if you remember how it launched it was kind of like STV started talking about their one and then the BBC sort of had to nip in on that like right afterwards as if yeah. it felt a little bit like a, oh, we should probably be doing this as well and rushing in to make an announcement around it even if it had been in the works in the background does it almost do, I mean do you think it almost feels a little bit like a tokenistic gesture and that the money isn't there for it but they kind of have to be doing it and they haven't really considered you know they've, they've thought as far as said well it should have its own news programme but they haven't really considered how that fits into the broader broadcast package coming from the BBC of how it could replace an earlier programme yeah but the other thing is that, that and again not, not to take aim at the actual people because again I agree and then there's a lot of really talented yeah, people you know, working the in it the presenters and the, yeah. the, the journalists you know um, James Cook who is a, I forget, forget me if I'm wrong here but I think Chief News Correspondent or something some mm. kind of senior role I thought is a, is a fantastic journalist and was brilliant during the referendum um, mm-hmm. on the BBC. Kind it's of, done good work in America as well. Absolutely, and kind of infamously called out Ruth Davidson in the middle of the debate about uh, a briefing about RBS, if you remember, and that kind of final ones. Um, and and is really really good, and that kind of I think bodes well for the program. But you just can't help but feel that there just isn't enough resources there in order to do what it really ought to do. You know. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Christine? I think not having the ability to take debate night around the country is a really, really strange one. Yeah. Um, you know, Scotland is is a country with, you know, some some quite diverse geography with a, a lot of different local um, issues at play, um, and and to centre all of that in Edinburgh, um, it just seems a bit off off to me. Yeah, well how's it going to work? Are they going to ship people in from Inverness to make the, the audience in Edinburgh a bit more diverse? Well, well um, confusingly they have now said that some of the shows might be on the road so and, but, it's a complete, might, but, but it's a complete mixed message, it's not really well, clear. It appears, so they might do like, the, the you know, if it's a 24, making this up, but if it's a 24 show run they might do a special in Inverness one week or a special in Glasgow or something like that, but you know, they're saying oh, well we can't afford to do that and my answer to that is, well, why not? Because the percentage of the, the money that from the licence fee that's raised in Scotland is not nearly high enough. The percentage of that that's spent in Scotland is, is really, really poor and shocking. So she might say, if she's given a budget of well, however many millions and she says she can't afford to do so you're that. you're talking about Donalda McKinnon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying, you know, that, that, to say that the BBC doesn't have money, I mean, that's, that's clearly it does because it raises a, a huge amount of money from Scottish license, uh, license fee payers, but it doesn't necessarily spend all that in Scotland. The other thing that, that, that as a newspaper editor, I just find incredibly exasperating is that, that when they launched the channel, they did a briefing on the channel a while back they, and they were quizzed on well what's success for you in terms of kind of ratings and they said they didn't really have targets you know, which um, is just is just unbelievable to someone who uh, works in a newspaper in which I have very very strict targets that I need to hit or else I'm out the door and you know? have it but, well thank you very much yeah. um, but you know 
to, to, to launch a new thing and say, well, we're just going to wait to see how successful it is, particularly when you're hiring 80 journalists many of uh, and poaching many of them from newspapers as well. Mm. But then again, it comes back to what I was asking about, does it feel like a little bit of a token gesture if they're not even setting targets? Is it just about, well, let's just see what happens? Well, well let's think about a new, it's, it's a new channel, which means it's going to be hard to build an audience on a new channel. You know, it's not like you're not flicking through BBC One, Two, Three, Four, like people do. I don't know where it is going to appear on the on the um, on the planner, but it is going to be a difficult thing to do. And I think STV Two uh, proved that proved how difficult it was. Albeit this is going to be um, better funded and have okay. more marketing resources if nothing else thrown at it. Hmm. Okay. Moving on from there to the next story that's dominating the headlines at the moment regarding uh, Shamima Begum, the is, um, London schoolgirl who at the age of 15 left the country to essentially go and join Islamic State and is now trying to come back into the country having had a child or wanted to have her child in a safe environment after two of her previous children died. Now, I'm going to come to you on this one, Kirsten, because this is definitely an area that you know a lot, a lot about. Can you kind of sort of, I guess, summarise what's been happening with that story? Well, what's, what's not been happening? Um, so there was mystery about the whereabouts of Shamima Begum and the two schoolgirl peers that she left with. Um, up until just the other day when, when the Times uh, tracked her down, they, they spoke to her in a refugee camp. Um, the story that she tells of her own, uh, the, the time that she spent, it's, it's, it's certainly eyebrow-raising. She's obviously been through a lot. For anyone to leave home at 15, travel to a foreign country, travel to a war zone, join the group, uh, one of the groups perpetuating that war and committing atrocities, um, and funding terror that's 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 a very unusual situation um and um to then go on to, to be married very quickly to have two children to lose two children um she now you're right Stephen she's given birth to to a son um, we know that we also know that while she wants to come back and join her rejoin her family um in England that the home secretary has written to her family and said that no that's not going to be happening um the UK citizenship is a we um, that's now going to be subject to legal challenge. Um, there, there are question marks around well, where does she go. So her mother apparently has a citizenship with Bangladesh. Um, will Shamima go there? Will her child go there? Um, there's a lot of different voices weighing in on this. It's a very, very difficult situation for decision makers. But what is interesting is that the Home Office guidance from 2018 has considered just this scenario. And within that guidance, it suggests that um, a woman would be allowed to come back to the UK with a child dependent and would not necessarily lose that child, but would be um, engaging with de-radicalisation programmes, engaging with uh, social services and and, and other arms um, of the state in that way. That guidance was signed off by Sajid Javid, but he's taken a very different decision here. Why do you think that is? Why does why does Sir Javid take that decision? Um, because it's definitely a cynical argument that some ahead. people well some people have been making a rather cynical argument that despite what he may have said in twenty eighteen, he is prepping himself further for a bid for the role of prime minister, and this is kind of him being like, I can make the tough decisions. 
tough, tough, I think, hits the nail on the head. I think Sajid Javid has proven himself since he took this position. Um, he is someone who is who is tough on immigration. He is someone who is tough when it comes to decision making. Um, whether that is, as you say, uh, just a positioning himself for future leadership, that remains to be seen. Um, what we do have to remember, though, is that there's 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 a, a a teenager and her child at the heart of this. There's a there's a there's a, a broader family network in England, um, and there are many many other people whose families have been directly affected by terrorism, perpetuated by Daesh and its supporters. Do you feel that there's been? Because I certainly do. I feel that there's been a real lack of compassion or attempting to understand where she's coming from in this debate like a lot of people have just been very black and white of just like no she's made her bed she's got to lie in it but the fact is she was a 15 year old girl who was obviously groomed or radicalized online who left to live in a war zone and is now coming back a few years later having seen a lot of awful things judging from the times interview there's been a real lack of trying to have a compassionate look in that at times I feel she she has seen a a lot of awful things Um, she has also said that she's not been phased, that was her word, she wasn't phased at seeing human heads in a bin Um, she's made clear that you know she had watched um, beheading videos, she'd watched a, a lot of different propaganda material um, that Daesh had, and its network had put online before making that decision to, to go across. She said she doesn't regret the decision to go there. Um, a lot that, that lack of compassion, that lack of sympathy that you talk about, I think is, is partly a response to, to that. To, to those statements and to that language. She was directly asked by Quentin Somerville for, of the BBC um, if she wanted to apologise for, for things like the Manchester Arena bombing. Um, and and she she conceded that, yes, she thinks it's, it's, it's wrong for innocent people to be targeted, women and children. Let's remember there were very, very young victims in that attack. Um, but she... She she went on to say, well, you know, there are, there are women and, and children uh, dying in other areas and they're being targeted. And I think while that may be accurate to to some extent, the the, the positioning of, of those statements is, is problematic. Hmm. And obviously one of the, the kind of legal outcomes of this is that somebody can't be left without a state. Like, it's... it's so, so if if the UK does revoke or as it has revoked her citizenship, she cannot be left stateless, and they're trying to kind of link it back to Bangladesh, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, do you think that's going to work? What or are they kind of just trying to patch the problem off to well, it's, it's, somewhere It's an abdication yeah. of responsibility, right? Isn't it? And it's it's just trying to make it not our problem anymore, um, which I think is 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 the wrong thing to do. And I think that no matter how unpalatable it may seem you know the rules have to apply to everybody um, and and I do agree with you that I think there's there's a, a bit of cynicism in what Sajid Javid is doing he's I mean he's a, he's a he's a Tory and he's an ambitious Tory so they're always uh, kind of got one eye on the leadership don't they but he knows full well that, that this move plays very very well to his base uh, it plays very well to the the group of Tory MPs in, in the Parliament who are quite you know, right wing um, and you saw that in fact I think in PMQs today two Tory MPs spoke up in, in favour of this decision so he knows what he's doing in that respect um, but it's it's to try to um, wash our hands of it 
on a technicality as a, as an abdication of responsibility. I think it also avoids some very difficult soul searching for the UK um, and, and authorities. At the end of the day, this is a girl who are and now a woman at the age of nineteen who had grown up in in London. So, however, she became radicalised. She did that on on British soil, and surely there are questions to be asked about how that process even occurred and how we avoid it happening to anyone else. Okay. Sombre discussion there. We'll move on to something a little bit more upbeat for the final section of the podcast this week. I say upbeat. What is it? It's, it's not that upbeat really. It's just talking about Nicola Sturgeon jetting about um, Europe, having a nice wee time in France. Um, yep, Nicola Sturgeon's been kind of <laughs> dotting around. Sounds like uh, a Tory MSP saying that. I know. <laughs> jetting off over But no, I mean, I'm actually very in support of uh-huh. But we'll come to that in a second. But exactly, so Nicola Sturgeon has been over in France, essentially setting up new kind of investment hubs, encouraging trade links between Scotland and France, um, following on from her previous sojourn to North America. I'm going to keep using these words in a sort of Tony esque way. I just feel like it's just making you seem really, really erudite. And, yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank you. Um, thank you. Uh, yeah, previously been in North America, essentially doing the same thing. Um, but has came under criticism. Has, from, has came doesn't seem married has came anymore. I've lost it back, I had back it and in, then in, back in Fergus the has, Park there has come <laughs> yeah. has come uh, has come under fire uh, from conservatives <laughs> specifically like Maurice Goldman it, and Jamie Green yeah, and, basically and, and Scottish Labour as well don't forget Scottish um, as well, who yeah. put out a video saying oh dear Nicola here's what's been happening in the country while you've been away as if you know, she wasn't yeah. keeping tabs on that right you know? but do, do you think do you think that this kind of betrays uh, a kind of broader feeling in, in the sort of more or less a unionist parties of like Scotland's place is we just kind of kick around and do our own thing up here and the, you know, we, we leave the big international stuff to the adults down south and so when Nicola Sturgeon steps up to the plate and starts doing this herself they're kind of like what is this what are you doing I think that's the Tory view uh, yeah of Scotland that, that it's for Westminster to make these decisions and you know don't forget they were against devolution um, uh, anyway the, but it, it really is I, it, it's pathetic isn't it really this, this criticism I mean we had a, a cracking story on her front page today that was um, former Labour First Minister Henry MacLeish and uh, former Lib Dem Deputy Jim Wallace both defending the First Minister in this and both of them using their own kind of experience um, to say that you know having the First Minister there or the Deputy First Minister in, in Lib Wallace's case open doors for people which weren't open otherwise and it got you into rooms and it got you into places that you wouldn't have got to and that's to me is is just a major part of the role of first minister you know so to criticize it is just is just ridiculous but unfortunately that's that's sort of where we are now where they're just looking for any way to attack the SNP um probably because they're they're doing so well and none of their not many of their attacks seem to be seem to be working but even you know Alex Cole Hamilton uh, Lib Dem MSP yesterday tweeted you know something to the effect of you know um, oh yes I, I support the First Minister in going to uh, US and, and France but when is she going to visit her our largest trading partner England um, uh, conveniently forgetting that she'd been in London two weeks before at a big business dinner to promote Scotland. Which so, she then pointed out to him and he yeah, was just left looking yeah, a bit daft. Exactly, yeah. but it's, it's just that attitude. I mean, what kind of small-minded 
parochial attitude do you have to have to criticise the leader of the country for trying to drum up and business and support uh, and, and boost Scotland's place in the world? It's just phenomenal. That's it. And Henry, Henry McLeish himself started Scotland Week back like in the 90s. You know, he was literally at the forefront of getting, let's start opening things up to like producing or, or well, promoting Scottish produce. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And and parochialism, parochialism is the word, like that's what Sturgeon said. And there's a real irony, I think, of that word being used in this context, given that these parties have consistently accused the SNP of being parochial for wanting independence. And then as soon as Nicola Sturgeon starts acting like a national or an international leader, then, then suddenly well, their suppose, backs come up. I suppose that's their problem, isn't it? That they think she shouldn't be acting as if she's well, a national exactly. leader. They should, think, they should be acting as if she's a... Uh, you know the administrative uh, chief of a of a region of the UK. But, I do yeah. I do wonder though if if, if uh, the the shoes were on other feet, what these parties would be doing and what, what these leaders would be doing instead. Would that be any different? Well, or would they just be falling in line with the parties down south, which is well, you know David Mendel goes um, goes around the world quite a bit, doesn't he? He was in Argentina recently. You know he's, he's promoting Scotland. Um, you know. It, unfortunately, he's promoting Scottish produce with a big Union Jack on it, but you know, <laughs> um, it's not as if it's not as if he's not doing the, the exact same thing that the Tories are uh, are kind of attacking him for. And in fact, we we did a story uh, there must have been ages ago now, but while he was away on on a foreign trip doing something to promote Scotland, the the cabinet were kind of meeting to uh, it was a crucial cabinet meeting to discuss Brexit, I think, wasn't it? So and he missed that in order to. To, to do exactly what they're criticising Nicola Sturgeon for. So, yeah, it's it's crazy, it's small-minded, it's parochial, it's pathetic. I don't have any more to say. Kirsten? Well, how, how do I follow that? <laughs> um, I, I'm pretty sure we do know what, what Callum really thinks about that. Yeah. I just think I think if, if, if a, a First Minister of, of whatever stripe can't travel internationally to forge links and, and promote their country... There, there has to be something wrong. Um, if there was a first minister in place who was not doing that, I think ourselves as 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 a, a media like would be interrogating why that is. Hmm. Absolutely. And there was also an interesting hypocrisy there as well with um specifically Jamie Green, like because when he was criticising, he kind of like mocked up like a fake boarding pass for Nicola Sturgeon going over to America, and he's like, oh, how much is this costing your taxpayers, Nicola? How much is this costing you to go over there and build trade links and? good relations with another country and and I remember looking at it at the time thinking well how much is it costing to keep flying Theresa May over to Brussels for them to say we've already told you we're not reopening <laughs> negotiations like yeah. why do you keep coming back here and <laughs> wasting everyone's time it's probably gets a discount to be over so frequent flyer <laughs> yeah. at this point <laughs> Okay, well, anyway, I think that wraps us up for today. So thanks very much for both of you, to both of you for uh, coming in and having a chat with me. Uh, As always, thank you as well for tuning in and having a listen. You can listen to us on iTunes as well as SoundCloud and on the new Independence Live radio station, which we're now broadcasting on as well. We will be back again next week. But until then, please do leave us a wee comment down below and let us know what you thought of the show. And if you can, do subscribe to The National tonight. If you're listening ahead of time... The National will also be in Falkirk for the National oh, Road yeah, Show. Oh, yes, we will, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I'll be there. Yeah, no, and uh, we've also got a really, really good story in tomorrow's paper as well. So keep uh, an eye out for about that. About the Queen. About the Queen. So, yeah. Going to get a lot of angry messages in the morning. I'm no, looking forward to it. Uh, but until then, we'll see you all again next Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in.